Welcome to Jumpstart Your Joy. I'm your host, Paula Jenkins. I invite you to join me as we explore how inspiring people have chosen joy in their lives and what they have to share with us about how to jumpstart joy in the world. Plus, how do we follow our own hearts, find work that lights us up while mindfully noticing the role joy plays in our own journey. Welcome to episode 122. This is Paula Jenkins, the host of Jumpstart Your Joy. Hello, hello, everybody. I am so excited you are here, and I am thrilled to have Amy Smith of The Joy Junkie on the show this week. Amy is a coach, a joy enthusiast, and she very intuitively understands the nuances of helpful and kind communication. I adored getting to talk with her because she has a very no-nonsense attitude about getting real about the shit that's going on in your internal landscape so that you can change it and get to the joy that is waiting for you on the other side of all that hard stuff. One of my favorite moments in this interview is when Amy says, if you're presenting info to someone that they don't want to hear, there's a way to say this with kindness and grace. I also love that Amy approaches all of this with a joyful heart and a true desire to present things in a way that is kind and loving with those around her. And it's not just about being kind and loving with others. Amy looks to share that same respect and love with herself, making it her intention to show up in her life in ways that make her feel proud of herself and her actions. And I just think there is so much to learn from her approach. And of course, when you get two people in the same conversation that love joy as much as we do, well, this is a really, really fun interview. Before we get there, welcome to the show. I am so glad you're here. If you're new to Jumpstart Your Joy, I'm Paula, and I am a certified life coach, a project manager by day, a retreat leader, and I created this show in 2015 to share the inspiring stories of people who choose joy in their lives, even when it seems like it's the most improbable choice out there. If you want to find out more about the show or more about me, my site is jumpstartyourjoy.com, And you can find the show notes for this episode where I share links and and more info at jumpstartyourjoy.com slash episode 122. 122. (laughs) While you're over at the site, be sure and sign up for my newest fun thing, which is a retreat planning worksheet. As a retreat planner for 11 years, I really love sharing what I've learned with other people about retreats. And I whipped up this worksheet to get you started. It goes in conjunction with a series of posts that are my most popular posts on my website all about how to plan a retreat. And it really lays the groundwork for retreats and how you can jump into doing that, which is so great, especially if you are a coach or a creative entrepreneur or such a great way to bring people together and get to share your message and um, really make a connection with your, your followers or your audience. It's really so much fun. So You can find all of that directly on the homepage at jumpstartyourjoy.com. So now let's get on to the interview with Amy Smith. Welcome to the podcast today. I have Amy Smith of the Joy Junkie on. Oh my gosh, welcome to Jumpstart Your Joy, Amy. Well, if this is not a match made in heaven, I don't know what is. (laughs) I know. Or whatever you believe in. It doesn't have to be heaven. (laughs) Right, exactly. Well, I'm so excited because, of course, anytime you get two people that just are in love with joy and love talking about joy, I just, I can't wait to see where this goes. (laughs) Yes, me as well. Yeah. Well, how about, tell us a little bit about what you loved most as a child. What were your earliest sparks of joy? Oh, man. You know, this is really interesting, Paula, because my youth was filled with angst. And Mm. it wasn't really until my adult life that I realized how, how deep of an anxiety disorder I had. So when I think back to my childhood, there's certain, there's definitely things that bring me joy for sure, but it was really riddled with a lot of extreme anxiety. And I grew up in a very conservative born again Christian home where there was a lot of dogma and a lot of motivation through guilt and fear. 
So Mm -hmm. I remember a lot of, a lot of guilt in my childhood. You're like, this is taking a really wrong turn. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's fascinating. There is some of that in my past as well. Like my mom's side of the family had all been Mormon. And so I kind of intuitively get where you're going with that, that like, I don't know, probably felt like there were a lot of rules, a lot of right and wrong, a lot of silent unsaid things that you were supposed to live up to. Yeah. And the things that did bring me a lot of joy were often chastised. And so so I had this really interesting conflict of having affinity for certain things and then being told that 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 wasn't good or right or moral. So for an example, I was enthralled with all things girly. I loved Barbies. I loved pink. I loved makeup. And my parents were not on board with that. They did not allow me to have Barbies. And it came from such a great place. Like they felt that that toy made little girls feel that they needed to be pretty to be loved. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, great. That is such a great moral good idea to raise a kid with that sort of philosophy. But then what happened was sort of an adverse effect of finding beauty and adornment and decoration as something that was immoral or not right. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they wouldn't allow me to wear makeup. They wouldn't. And there was such a huge expression for me there. And even to this day, how I adorn myself, how I get ready and get dressed or my makeup or whatever is such a huge piece of how I express myself. So I kind of had to combat that as a child because artistic expression in general just wasn't fostered as much in my youth. So those were the things that really did bring me a lot of joy that I didn't nurture fully really until my adult life. And I ended up becoming a makeup artist and I worked as a corporate trainer for a prestige makeup brand and traveled and did all these things. And so I would jokingly tell my mom, I look like a drag queen every day because you wouldn't let me have Barbies. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my, that's so great. Well, I love that you just like, you went after it. Like you were like, yep, this is what I love and this is what I'm doing. Yeah. Uh, What was that path like? Like embracing that side of yourself. Jesus, Paula, how much time do you have? (laughs) (laughs) It was tumultuous to say the least. Yeah. I'll say this. I spent a lot of time kind of in my early 20s when I was sort of trying to have kind of this awakening into who I really was outside of how I was raised and things where I I really was angry at at God, at religion. I felt lied to and I was extremely combative. So I wanted to fight with my parents and I wanted to have these debates and like just take them to school. And that really morphed into a place of, and it really truly has infused my work now in being able to speak up with other people, including family members, and to do it with the utmost grace and kindness that you can have the most polarizing views from another person that you can ask for a divorce from your spouse, that you can ask your adult children to leave your residence and no longer you know, uh, live in your abode. You can do really challenging conversations and you can do it with the utmost kindness and grace. So I spent a lot of time wondering how the hell I got stuck in this family. And it wasn't until many, many years later that I'm like, oh, no <laughs> shit. That, it is totally informed the work that I do now and being able to teach people to find their footing, speak up for themselves without such a heavy investment in what, what other people think. But I will tell you that it was, you know, early twenties, it was, holy shit, I've been lied to and I'm mad. And then Mm -hmm. kind of mid twenties and into, into my late twenties, I started really kind of searching for meaning and I was much more argumentative. And then it morphed into kind of a place now in my gosh, late 30s, <laughs> where I'm so much more at peace and expansive that there's so many right answers. And that if I genuinely want respect and support from my family, 
from my mom in particular, that I also have to embody that back to her, despite the polarization of, of her thoughts and beliefs. And so that that's been really challenging. You know, I uh, used to prep my husband, we've been together for 20 years. So he's seen me through a lot of this whole find your voice thing. And he, I used to prep him and say, okay, no, no Howard Stern, no South Park, no gay rights. Don't cuss. Don't, you know, don't Mm. elude to the fact that we like whiskey. Don't, you know, just really, (laughs) it was, it was a, let's wear this mask. Let's hide who we are. Let's, let's cower under the opinions of others, even if it's family. And then over the years, like I said, there was some really strong, horrible arguments with my mom where I really had to clean up my mask and go back and apologize to where I am now, where I feel very calm and rooted. And I, you know, she'll invite me to church and I'll say, you know, mom, my stance really hasn't changed on that. I still find that highly offensive when you request that of me. I know that's not your intention, but I'm going to humbly request that you do not invite me any longer. And so now that is how I mm. communicate these days. <laughs> yeah. But my God, mm. it's taken a minute. Well, and I can see, I mean, even just in the tone and the the way that you just voice that, like there is a beauty and a grace and a heartfeltedness. I could see that the reaction to that kind of a request would be so well, so well met. And also your voice is so well stated like that's just it's beautiful well and that's that's one of the biggest fallacies that i think people buy into is that if you're presenting information to somebody that's not what they want to hear that you are inflicting pain on that person that you're causing them pain that you're being a dick or you're being an asshole instead of really taking ownership of how you're showing up in the world. So that statement that I've told my mom, I could say that with malice. I could say that with acrimony and spite and bitterness, or I could envelop it in kindness and grace. And so that that's one of the fallacies that I'm always trying to get people to understand is just because somebody doesn't like what you have to say, does not mean that you're out of integrity. It could just mean that it's uncomfortable because you both have values around different things. So one of the things that I love to share with people to put that really into perspective is that you are responsible for your intention, not your reception. Your reception is going to be all across the board, right? So for example, my husband and I have always felt very strongly that we didn't want children. And when we share that with people, the reception is all across the board. And sometimes people applaud it. Sometimes people think we are just unbelievably selfish and that we're going to regret it. And then other people are completely indifferent. So if I have this reception that is all over, all across the board of how people can consume that information and then create their own judgment, if I tried to cater to every single way that I could be received, it would be a rat race. Not only can Mm -hmm. I not do it, but then I'm a liar. I'm lying. If I am trying to twist and contort just so that that person receives my information in, in a way that they feel good about. So if I switch up the goal, like the goal is just my intention showing up in a way in which I am proud. And for me, that is kind of a combination of being assertive, not lying about what I have to say, So actually saying what I mean and doing so with grace and kindness so that whatever I am expressing, I'm doing it from a really lovely, kind place. That is one of clearly the the hardest things to do, especially if you're coming from a place where people pleasing and perfectionism are a big deal to me. Like I want to make sure or used to want to make sure that everyone was happy all the time and that everything was right all the time, which of course those two things will wear you out after a while Mm -hmm. (laughs) rather quickly. But then like what you're saying about the goal being to show up in a way that you're proud of. Wow. What you just said about being assertive, but with grace and kindness, I don't know. How do people do that? If someone's like, Oh yeah, I want that. Wow. Well, first of all, it's to figure out what you have not given voice to. 
And it's usually what and with whom. So we can typically find that and excavate for that based off of what we complain about. So oftentimes there are things that we will be so vocal about. Like, let's say we're pissed at our husband. Our best friend will get an earful or our therapist will get an earful. Will our husband? Maybe not. Because we think, oh my God, I could never tell him that he would be destroyed. Or, you know, you're furious with your mom, but you don't say everything that you need to say. But you do tell your best friend or your poor spouse gets an earful. So I think first looking at what are the things that I habitually and chronically complain about? And am I telling the person who can actually make a difference? We do it all the time with our workplace, with our bosses, mm-hmm. with our colleagues. And we tell everybody else except the person who we actually need to resolve that grievance with. So first I would identify, what do I habitually complain about? Now that's different than I had a rough day and I just need to vent and clear something out. I'm talking about the stuff that's consistent. So I like to say, if it's worth complaining about, then it's probably worth taking action on. Otherwise you're just a complainer. You're just being a victim. We don't really want to identify that. So then I would look at what have I not given voice to? What do I actually need to say in this situation? And then I would look at how can I say that in a kind way? Um, And a lot of times it is just saying ahead of time, this is really hard for me, you know, starting off with a layer of vulnerability. Like I have some stuff I want to share with you and I do not want to come across X, Y, or Z. And just stating what your intention is or what it is not. For instance, if I'm talking to my mom with that same anecdote I shared earlier, I could say, mom, please know it's not my intention to cause you pain. What my intention is, is to stay really true to who I am and to just genuinely back up what matters the most to me. So if you can start off having that conversation, like, hey, please know my intention is just to make our work collaboration as smooth as possible. And I owe it to you to be honest with you if there's something that's coming up for me. So how you start into a conversation can be paramount in setting yourself up to be heard. Now, ultimately, we can't control how you're received at all, but you can control Mm -hmm. how you show up and how you start that conversation. But there was something that you mentioned earlier, Paula, that I want to make a note about and how you said, Mm -hmm. I want people to be happy all the time, right? (laughs) No shit. We all do. We all do. But what the biggest distinction there is, is that it's not your sole responsibility to make sure that they're happy. That's where we get stuck. It's like, of course we want mom to be happy. Of course we want our spouse to say the things we want them to say. You're allowed to want that all damn day, but you cannot control that. It is not your responsibility. And that's one of the hardest things to tear apart because we Mm -hmm. think, oh, well, if I just say it the right way, or if I just come across this, or if I try one more thing or did it, and it's like, "Mm, you have to really recognize what's your responsibility and what's not. Yeah. Well, and where I I love that you made that distinction. And I think the other piece there too is like, and where does it matter? Because for me, it does matter that my mom is happy. And so I'll work hard to make sure that relationship is in in integrity and also healthy. Uh, You know, in some other places, I can't help what maybe, you know, a a colleague at work thinks of me. And, you know, I'm just going to do my work and get through the day. I'm not going to go out of my way necessarily to make sure that that person thinks I'm delightful. Like, (laughs) you know, I, I think that, and that's the hard part. I remember that point in my own journey of like, getting okay with knowing that there's people out there that don't like me at all. Yes. (laughs) And like that doesn't impact who I am or anymore how happy I am about things. That's right. That's right. And that is why we have this rat race where we are in Mm -hmm. hot pursuit of joy all the time. And we Mm -hmm. think it's in the adoration from others. We think if they like me, then surely I'm likable. Now I can be happy. But then we invest all of our joy and happiness into other people's hands. And that's an extremely 
powerless place to be. And it's not yes, necessary. Yes. Mm-hmm. But well, you know what though? It's primitive. We naturally want to belong. So it's like, of course we're, we want people to be happy. Of course. Who, who's like, yay, you don't like me. That's awesome. <laughs> no, nobody. <laughs> right. Yeah, totally. Well, and, and yeah, and it probably ties into all the, the shame stuff and nobody wants to be put outside the tribe and all that yes. lovely work that Liz Gilbert, I'll try and find it and put the show notes, but like, Yes to all that. And I and I love, I know right before we started hitting record for this one is like talking about then how, where do we search for? And I think we're both going to blow up on this one because we love this topic so much, but like, then how, how do we get to joy if it isn't through those kind of external pieces? Wow. Well, that alone is the life's work, right? Like, because everything, everything in our society, most of the time for most of us, our family of origin is telling us otherwise. Mm -hmm. Our media, everything is saying, you need to be skinny, then you'll be happy. You need to have a six figure business, then you'll be happy. You need a spouse, you need a this, you need a that. You need this awesome vacuum cleaner, then you'll be happy. Everything that is shared with us, right? Our family says, go to college, you'll get a good job, then you'll be happy. So we, like hamsters on a wheel, we just keep running, 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 running and check off all these boxes. And then for many of us, we get to this place in our 30s, 40s, and sometimes beyond. And we go, what the hell? I did all the things. I sought out the adoration of everybody outside of myself. And why am I not happy? So the first thing that I have to underline is if you are at that place where you've come up empty and kind of looked around and said, is this all there is? Or why am I not happy? You are totally not alone. I think Mm -hmm. a lot in our society gets us to that point, right? We're always chasing. We're always hungry for the next thing. So be compassionate with yourself that everything in our world is is telling us otherwise. So it takes fierce, fierce courage to go, you know what? I'm going to excavate and start looking for that happiness within. And also knowing that it is a journey. We do not arrive, right? It's never like, done, I'm done. I'm never going to have opposition or challenges or anything like that. It's about now I'm going to view those things through a different lens. And that's really what personal development is, right? Mm -hmm. It's a different way of managing life instead of feeling like it's just happening to you. I don't know. What do you think? What is your... (laughs) Yeah, well, I'm like soaking up all that stuff that you're saying too. Well, I mean, yeah, I think the way that I arrived at it, it, kind of my moment where I said, my set of circumstances right now are no longer acceptable to me. Um, and that's probably also, I mean, I I feel like Liz Gilbert needs to be here with us, but like that whole, like no transformation ever happens until someone's tired of their own bullshit moment. It wasn't so much like I was doing the bullshit, but I mean, it came about when I was realizing that, okay, joy does not even seem within, within arm's reach at this moment. And it had to do, you know, listeners know that the birth of my son was long extended and I was like, okay, so now I'm not feeling like myself. So how do I get back to that person? And, and that was the question. And and so my language for it is that joy is a wayfinding emotion, that it's like the thing that I want, but then I have to figure out how, what do I need to do in my life to get there? And it's I, that sounds a little bit more transactional than I see it because um, it, it's not. It's like, what work do I need to do internally? What things do I need to prioritize? What are my values that I want to align with and live towards? And it took getting to know all that stuff. Um, and that's even, interestingly enough, the birth of the podcast is like, okay, so what do people do when they're in that crappy moment when they're like, this is no longer acceptable? And that could be a, a horrible traumatic event. It could be that you're blowing up at work and you can't stand it and you won't put up with that anymore. Like it could be any of those things that gets you to say, who am I internally and what do I want? And it's probably that you want joy and connection and love. And how do I get there? And and then that's kind of what the show is, the story of those things and how do people get there and what do they find along the way? And maybe they change their life and their career. And like you're saying, they have some difficult conversations, hopefully with grace. And, and who are they and how do they get to a place that then is 
a dance, right? Because you're not going to stick in joy forever. Um, so how do you dance with it? How does this muse keep pulling you onward throughout your life? That's right. Well, and I think this is really important to underline that I feel like a lot of what I do, and I'm sure this is probably true for you, is that I'm flipping the ratio of the primary emotions that people feel. So instead of having a majority of your life feel in it residing in that emotion of discourage, discouragement, shame, sadness, fear, trepidation, whatever else it might be, maybe 80% of the time. And then you have this 20%, like sometimes you feel good. Sometimes you have a little bit of happiness. What I do is try to flip what emotion you reside in the most. So it's not to say you're never going to experience fear or being uncomfortable or shame or anything like that. It's that you reside in a place of joy and happiness a majority of the time. And then you're Mm -hmm. able to contend with fear from a place of power, or you're able to contend with anger, shame, sadness from a place of power. Um, So because that's just our humanity. Emotions are just messaging. They're just sharing with us like, Hey, Paula, you're on the right track or Hey, pay attention. This hurt. Right. Right. And what we want is just, we want to feel good most of the time. So what can we do? And I wish I had a really easy answer, like do this, you'll be happy. But then I would be (laughs) buying right into the, all the bullshit that I think is so pervasive in our, in our culture. And then also most of the time our family of origin. So what I would Mm -hmm. say is it comes down to a continued work on self, whatever that looks like. If it's a therapist, if it's a group program, if it is consuming self-help books, becoming more introspective about your inner workings, that is where you start to unlock the shit that's holding you back. Because those are the things that have us searching outside of ourselves. We don't Mm want to look at our internal peace. And it's easier to say, well, maybe it's the next promotion or the next baby or the next house. It's easier to do that. It takes far more courage to say, I'm going to look at this shit that hurts and that's uncomfortable and that maybe was sparked by childhood trauma or any type of trauma. Mm-hmm. So, so that's what I would say is that if you yeah. aren't making your personal growth habitual, what does that look like? Is there a way that you could systemize that and go, okay, I am making sure that I'm working on my shit in some way, whether it's always having a book on the docket, whether it's, you know, listening to a podcast every day, every single week, you know what I mean? Like every Monday, I always listen to my, something that's creating a a structure and a habit for you. Yeah. And, and I love that you've said the thing that is like kind of diving into those places that are not comfortable um, because you're right. We will go towards the easier thing that feels like almost instant gratification, you know, if that's the numbing outside. Um, what? But then, I mean, I think that the other thing I've seen is that when people can be vulnerable and get get into the space of what is causing me anger or why, what is this fear about and getting curious about that, that kind of if joy and happiness or contentment, whatever the range is there for the person that's desiring it, like whatever they're trying to get to, the thing that was always, that didn't seem what straightforward to me was that sometimes you have to go and feel the other emotions and understand what what's motivating them and where they're coming from before then you can also kind of have that ongoing I don't know, love affair with joy. Like you kind of have to understand why am I angry? Why does this hurt so much? Why, why does that person piss me off? Like before then you can also have the depth of the joy that you desire. And that it seems almost like, I I don't know, you have to dig in deep to understand the extremes. Oh, yes. Yes. (laughs) Oh my gosh. So it's, it's so funny because I was jotting down some notes prior to jumping on the line with you about some things that I really wanted to make sure that we talked about. And that's one of the biggest things we want the, and I'm just going to use the term comfortable versus uncomfortable. We want the comfortable emotions. We want ecstasy. We want intimacy. We want joy. We want, 
whatever it might be, right, in that comfortable, euphoric realm. What we don't want is to feel the shame, the sadness, the anger, the embarrassment. But Brene Brown has an amazing quote, which I'm sure you're quite familiar Mm. with, which is that we cannot selectively numb emotion. If you numb the dark, you numb the light. So the reason to actually feel that fear or that shame or that guilt is so that you can actually feel the breadth of human emotion and feel that joy and ecstasy and intimacy and all these more comfortable emotions, right? The the opposite end of the spectrum. So I'll give you an example of what the hell that even looks like. So I recently had a situation in my business that was really disappointing. And this happened just yesterday. Well, it happened the day prior. But so yesterday, I mourned the hell out of this thing. I didn't Mm. achieve a goal that I really wanted. I was just extremely let down. I felt betrayed. I felt uh, regressive, like I was going backwards in my business. I felt taken advantage of. And so I basically cried and stayed in bed all damn day yesterday. And I was very deliberate about it. I was like, today is going to be the day that I allow myself to feel what I feel. I'm not going to try to work this away. I'm not going to try to drink this away. I'm not going to try to chocolate this away or whatever Mm. method we do so that we don't have to feel the uncomfortable feeling. And I colored and I watched shows that I knew would make me cry. And I just let myself feel those uncomfortable emotions. Mm -hmm. And then what happens? And this is what we don't really understand in our culture. And I think the more we can converse about it, the better is that we reach the other side so much faster if we just allow room for the pain. So today, this morning, I woke up just like shit and glitter. I'm telling you, like, I was like, (laughs) this is going to be amazing. And uh, just ready to regroup, ready to tackle things, ready to handle things. What we don't realize is when we create room for those uncomfortable emotions, our resilience skyrockets. You come out the other side into joy, happiness, whatever it might be so much faster if you don't resist the pain. But it is the most counterintuitive thing because, Mm. you know, from a physical standpoint, it's like you put your hand over a hot burning stove and our body goes, oh, painful, move away. So what we're essentially asking you to do on an emotional level is to keep your hand on the burner. And Mm -hmm. that's, we're like, what? No, I'm just going to overwork or I'm going to overparent or I'm going to throw myself into Facebook for four hours or I'm going to Netflix for Mm -hmm. 10 hours. You know, we we just go, oh, no, 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 no. I can't. I can't with pain. Yeah. So that, and that mm-hmm. took me many, many years to realize. Yeah, me too. Yeah. And, and there's something in there. Like there's, as you're saying that, like, of course, I'm going, yes, yes, yes. And like, there's also this thing that strikes me and that I find myself resonating with is, this is going to be so out of left field, but this this quote from Battlestar Galactica, which is you have oh. to roll the hard six. And Captain Adama or Admiral Adama says it. And it means we have to do the thing we don't want to do. Meaning, and there's only one way to do it. If you're talking about two dice or dice, there's only right. one way to roll a hard six. You have to get threes. So we right. have to do the hard thing. And there's only one way. And that's the only way through the thing. And I love it when he says it because it means they basically have to go in and battle whatever. And it's huge and it's hard. But he knows, you know, in his infinite wisdom, clearly I'm a fan, um, <laughs> that that's, th- that's, that's going to be how they get through. And exactly what you're saying, it's the only way. It's the fastest way. And we're not going to go off on some side tangent trying to find another way to do it when there's this clear path that isn't going to be fun, but it's, it's the way. And, and I love what you've just said about, we get so hung up and we want to go do the thing that doesn't, that doesn't hurt as much. But then if we roll the hard six, well, we're through it. It's done with, (laughs) we may not like the moments that what, or the days or even the weeks sometimes that it's happening, but it is the way through. And I, I don't know. I love that you've brought it up too. And I don't know how we can all talk about talking about it more because um, yeah. it, it it is, that is the transformation, um, 
That's right. And it's, it's unavoidable, really. Well, you know, I do know what we can do. I will, you know what, Paula, I will tell you what we can do about it. <laughs> tell me, Amy, what tell we, me. I'll, I, I got the answer right here. So glad you asked. Um, the, I think the biggest thing we can do in all of our lives, all of us, is allow the people around us and in our individual worlds to actually emote. So when your kid is throwing a temper tantrum, to not tell them to not feel angry or don't feel sad. Or when your friend starts crying, don't tell her to stop crying. Don't just say, I, you know, through your actions, you're saying, I cannot be with your emotion. If we can start allowing everybody to feel what they feel, and then obviously with children, giving them a healthy way to process that, not shaming them for feeling what they feel. But then saying, hey, here's a way to process that. We can do so much. I mean, I was not so long ago watching a documentary about the youth prison system. And I would, my heart was just ripped out because I would watch these wardens and these various people of the law running these, you know, youth jails. And they were like, why are you crying? Why are you crying? Man up, man up. And mm. I was like, no, like screaming <laughs> behind the TV, like, no, he needs to feel what he feels. But what happens when we don't feel what we feel? We get pent up resentment, anger. No wonder they become criminals. Mm-hmm. No wonder. Because where can they process what's happened in their worlds, right? Yeah. Same is true for all of us. You know, we might not be on an extreme level where we turn to criminality. But it could be that we have shut down intimacy. We've not let other people into our worlds. We don't have really, really rich friendships or marriages. And that has everything to do with our ability to be with emotion. So that's the number one thing is just allow room for it. Whether it's your kids, your best friend, somebody in the office, just don't tell them not to feel what they feel. Yeah, mm, that's so, so important. And I think it is, I mean, it is so you know, being a parent, I can see where sometimes it's like, <laughs> let's be honest, sometimes emotions are not convenient, right? <laughs> but That's but right. I, I think <laughs> understanding that they may not be convenient, but, you know, a kid is going to get upset in a grocery store every once in a while. And then how do we teach that person? And probably everybody standing there watching said meltdown. Like, how do we show and teach a different way than just shutting it down. Because I think we can silently inspire even, you know, somebody watching a tantrum in how we react of, you know, that it's okay. I know you were upset by X, Y, Z and, and letting the, letting the emotion happen. Because I think you're right. Every time we shut it down, we're very silently saying to everybody around us, yep, this, we need to, this is scary. This is uncomfortable. We need to avoid this troublesome emotion <laughs> that we're witnessing. Right. Um, yeah. The, wow. I love what you've said Ugh, so much, so much. Thanks. And, and you know what, to your point, it isn't easy. It no. is not easy. And it's extremely hard to call that forth when you are in an irritated state, when you're like, mm-hmm. just shut up so <laughs> we can get to the car. You know, it is, it is so hard. So please know that any little baby step towards healthier communication about emotions with your child is is a step in the right direction. We're going to get it we're going to get it wrong sometimes. We're going to mess out mess up. We're going to lash out at our spouses or our children or whatever. But one of the biggest lessons that I heard and one of the reasons why I feel like I have more emotional intelligence around this is because of how my father portrayed it. So he would come to me after he would have spanked me or disciplined me out of anger. And he would come and he would ask for forgiveness. And he Mm -hmm. would say very clearly, the thing that you did was not acceptable and that was not okay. And he would explain why my actions were wrong. But then he would say, but it's also not okay for me to discipline you out of anger and not out of love. So I need to ask your forgiveness for how I disciplined you. Not that I shouldn't have, but the way in which I did. So I mm. learned very quickly to own your shit, that you apologize when you make a mess. And I learned how you can act 
out of emotion in a way that's unhelpful and unhealthy and ways that you can act out of emotion that is healthy and how to, to be with that. And in fact, I did a podcast episode Mm. where we talked a lot about this and how to teach personal development to children a lot around what I learned from my father. And a lot of it has to do with emotions, you know? Mm. Um, and, And so again, if you mess up, if you lose your shit, you can circle back and tell your kid what happened there and use that as a as a learning lesson the same way we can approach a best friend and say i'm so sorry i shut down that conversation and you really needed me i got really uncomfortable it's so hard for me to see you in pain but i realize that probably was not what you needed so even if it makes me uncomfortable i want to be what you need so tell me what that looks like when you're having a meltdown or when you're upset how can i be awesome for you how can i support you best but we don't do that. No. (laughs) So just know you can always circle back, circle back. I like to call it declaring the do-over. Oh yes. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I'm, I'm, I'm wondering, I like, I'm sensing, I don't know these people, but there's probably a mom or a parent or even just somebody out there going, yeah, but how do I do that? I don't, I'm the, the books by Sherry Huber, I'll link them up are so good for the like whole, how do you show emotional, um, what? intelligence with people, even if that isn't how you were brought up, like I, her work is so good around that. So, um, Oh, cool. Yeah. That was a, a Kate courageous recommendation right there. Um, <laughs> a mutual friend, oh, if awesome. you guys are not following along, <laughs> but, um, yes. Oh yes. Declaring the do over. Yes. I, I well, love we, it. we think a lot of times, like if we had a conversation with our partner or if our, we had a conversation with a best friend or a child that we can't go back we can always go back. You can go back and say, hey, you know what? I think I owe you apology in how I expressed that. I still feel very much the same way about fill in the blank, but the way I t- expressed that to you was wildly unfair. So, you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. it's just, a, and that, my friends, is vulnerability. Apologizing, expressing gratitude, those two pieces are a very easy way to step into vulnerability and, you know, even gratitude. Like Paula, thank you so much for taking the time to have me on this show. Just expressing that is a practice in vulnerability. So you can do that with your kids. You can do that with your best friends. You can do that with your spouses. (laughs) Baby step. (laughs) That's a beautiful way to to start into something. Cause I, I think the other piece that gets overwhelming, I know from past clients and whatnot, is that feeling, especially if we're a perfectionist that we have to do all the things right, right away. And so like knowing that there's that trajectory for l- like learning vulnerability or experiencing gratitude that, no, you don't have to go full, full in all in first out of the gate. Like if it's not something you've done a lot of, or you want to experience, just try it out. That's a great practice. Absolutely. Absolutely. The sooner that you make peace that we will never arrive, <laughs> that there's no destination, yeah. the more rich your experience will be because you're not so future oriented. It's the journey oriented, you know, that mm. we embrace. Yes. Oh, yes. Journey oriented. Oh, Amy. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Okay. Well, so let's, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about some of the things you've got going on. If people are like, yes, I need more Amy in my life. Where can they find you? Um, and, and what do you got going on? Yeah. So I always have something going on, but primarily the hub for all things, Amy Smith is the joyjunkie.com and junkie is J U N K I E.com. And I also have a weekly podcast called The Joy Junkie Show. And over at thejoyjunkie.com, you'll see right there, you can opt in for a free workbook and audiobook that I've created that's called Stand Up for Yourself Without Being a Dick. And it's nine proven strategies to help kind of catapult your self love and your self confidence. And they're all challenges that you can do them in kind of in any order that you want, but they're designed to actually get you into action and shifting some of this stuff that we've talked about. So like, what do I actually do? What are the tactile steps? 
because that's one of the things that I feel very strongly about with personal development is how can we take it from being really heady Mm. and take it into something that's really actionable. So that's available for anybody listening. If you uh, prefer to consume it in an audio version, that's there for you as well. So I would just love for people to kind of get to know that a little bit more. And um, yeah, worst case scenario, you learn something. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I will link it up. Um, uh, Yeah, I love that. And I do love it when personal development of any sort then also rounds the corner um, as our friend Andrea Owen does so well in her book. Shout out for that. But like, of how do you do this thing? Because I think some of it gets so heady that then you're like, okay, sounds good. But what does that mean in my real life? So I am look for- right. looking forward to, I will, I'm going to go read it too. <laughs> Yay, <laughs> looking I forward to it. it. Yeah. Um, well, cool. Let's jump to our last two questions. Um, sure which are, where have you seen resistance come up in your life and how have you overcome it? Oh, where haven't I seen resistance come up? Jeez. <laughs> um, yeah. There's, you know, I, I think probably the biggest area of resistance that I can think of in my, in this more recent chapter of my life is is my perspective on spirituality and kind of resolving that to kind of come full circle with what we spoke about earlier to figure out what God means to me now at this chapter in my life, because for so long I couldn't even say that word without having a visceral response and feeling really angry, being angry about my upbringing and my childhood. And so I think that has been the thing that I have had to turn to my coach for more, more times than I (laughs) would like to admit. Uh, But grappling with that, that issue of spirituality and, and the context of it, that as well as my relationship to money, that has also been a huge piece that has been (laughs) such resistance and have felt like I've made tremendous headway and altering my relationship with money within the last, gosh, probably four years. Mm. So all of that stuff is just energy, right? So I started realizing, okay, I can do this. If I can figure out how to like myself, if I can figure out how to use my voice, if I can figure out how to love deeply and truly, I can figure out these other areas too. But those two, I think would be the largest pieces of resistance. Mm. Yeah, those are both huge but there's there's relationship in both of those, like rela- right. relationship with the divinity, however it is that you see that, and relationship with money, and both are so powerful. Ooh, <laughs> that's yes. juicy territory, Amy. Wow. Yes. Oh, well, wow. I I do. I'm going to be experimenting with a money type of course later mm-hmm. on in the year, so maybe we'll hit it hit back up and and chat about that later. Oh yes, I love that. Yeah, money is is a tricky thing for sure. Um, mm-hmm. Yes. Ooh, I'd love to hear more. Um, well, and the last question is, um, what are three wing? Ugh, I can't even do my own last question. <laughs> oh gosh. What are three ways that you can think of to jumpstart joy in your life, in the world or in other people's lives? Yes. Okay. So I've got three things. First is what we talked about earlier. And that is to give yourself freedom to feel the uncomfortable emotions. So dig into the shame, dig into the anger, no matter how uncomfortable it is, not just for the hell of it, but in service of joy. Like we talked about earlier with Brene Brown's quote about you numb the dark, you numb the light. So it is virtually and biologically impossible for us to relish true joy unless we allow for some of those uncomfortable emotions. So that's why we're doing it, not just for kicks, but <laughs> in service of the joy. So if you can kind of tweak your perspective around those elements, you might find that joy becomes much more of a rich experience for you. So that's one, allowing room for the uncomfortable emotions. Number two, managing your self-talk. I've had people ask me, what do you think is like the biggest most transformative piece of personal development or what's your number one tool? And I always, always say, 
getting a handle on that internal narrative, that internal conversation. Why? Because it's 24-7. It never shuts off. So it doesn't matter if you consume an hour-long podcast and it's all amazing and lighting you up and all of that. If the rest of the day, 23 hours, you're talking shit to yourself. So (laughs) you have got to get a handle on that. There's tons of resources out available for that. I talk about that a lot in my podcast and my work and in my workbook and all of that. So there's help for that. (laughs) And then finally, I would say, just do a quick inventory for yourself. Where and with whom do I not speak up? And that will just start to clue you in and just be gentle with yourself. It's not like you have to all of a sudden go have all these tough conversations, but just start calling yourself out kind of what we were talking about earlier. What do I constantly complain about? Because if you're constantly complaining, that's likely not equating joy for you. And most of the time, it's because you're not willing to speak up about something that you need to speak up about. So start looking for those avenues and start taking baby steps. But you can't start taking baby steps until you've really called out the place that's stifling your joy and where you aren't giving voice to things that need to be given voice to. So that's what I got for you, Paula. Mm, Amy, yes. Oh, my goodness. Thank you so much. Oh, this has been so joyful. (laughs) Yay! Yay! (laughs) Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you for all of your great insight and wisdom, Amy, and for being on the show today. I am so glad that we got to talk here and that we got to talk about joy. (laughs) If you want to find out more about Amy, her podcast, and her coaching, you can find out more in the show notes for this episode at jumpstartyourjoy.com slash episode 122. (laughs) 122. While you're there, be sure to sign up for my free retreat planning worksheet, which will support you as you start to plan a retreat. Or if you're curious about what it takes to lead and plan a retreat, there's also a great series about that over on my website, which you can find at (laughs) jumpstartyourjoy.com. I also have a big special surprise for you guys this week. The next episode will be out this Thursday, the 22nd, which is unusual because Jumpstart Your Joy usually comes out on Tuesday mornings. (laughs) I'm going to be releasing a brand new series for the podcast, which I am calling the Friendpreneur series, <laughs> which is, of course, a mashup of the words friend, obviously, but an entrepreneur. And I, what I'll be doing is talking to my friends, many of whom I have met through this podcast, who are also entrepreneurs and We talk about what's going on for us as we run businesses, what is happening in our lives and how it connects to business. And we're gonna share some tips and tricks with you on what's worked and what hasn't worked (laughs) when starting a new business. So this Thursday, I'm kicking things off with my friend and fellow coach and self-care and self-advocacy guru, Ms. Christy Tending. We met over two years ago now when she pitched herself to be on the show and we quickly became dear friends. And this conversation is, it weaves in and out of being moms and running a small business. It's, it's just, oh, I love her. It's such a great discussion. So I hope you'll come back Thursday this week and check out the discussion, which will be in episode 123. And until then, I hope that your days are filled with so much joy. 